Well, good morning again. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Now, if you've been coming regularly or if you got our e-news this week, you might be wondering, why are we in Colossians? I thought we were going through the Psalms. You came already to hear Psalm 51. Don't worry, you'll hear it next week, but Pastor Ben was supposed to preach that this morning and he had the audacity to get really sick last night. So uh, on short notice, we wondered what we were going to do with on short notice, and so I thought what might fit with kind of the theme of the service we had already planned, and so, and something that I would love to talk about anyway, and so I'm actually going back into the archives. So this was actually uh, based off of a sermon I preached seven years ago, so as I looked around, I thought, you know, I don't know how many people heard it the first time. And if you're here and you heard it, odds are you can still use it to hear it again. So I read through it and I thought, I don't remember saying some of this. So you probably don't remember me saying it either. And that's totally okay. But one of the things I love about having a good and sovereign God is sometimes he surprises us and he changes our plans. And so I have every expectation that this morning, this message is not an accident. And I don't know how it's going to help you or how it's going to land on you. But I trust that God's word will not return empty, but it's going to accomplish what he intends. So with that in mind, let's turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle Do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, one of the more fascinating trends to me over the last several years has been the explosion of the DIY culture. And if you're not familiar with that term, DIY stands for do it yourself. So DIY, broadly speaking, is any craft or project that you could buy something from the store or you could pay someone to do it for you, but instead you decide, I'm going to do it myself. Now, on the one hand, this idea of doing it yourself is far from anything new, right? People have been doing things for themselves from time immemorial. Even things like, think about previous generations, making quilts or more recently changing our oil. We do things for ourselves and that's not newsworthy. But what's new is how popular and widespread this trend of DIY is. Now, a lot of this explosion in popularity, I think, has to do with websites like Pinterest, and YouTube. These sites offer creative ideas and instructions on how to do just about anything yourself. 
You want to know how to reupholster your chair? Or make your own sour cream? Or decorate your house with milk jugs and old paper towels? There's a Pinterest board for that. Maybe you've always wanted to learn to play guitar, take better photographs, or change the brakes on an 84 Buick. YouTube can help you do it all yourself. And this trend has gotten so big, there's actually a whole DIY network on TV. That's a whole channel filled with shows only about doing it yourself. Now, I think that's great for projects that make sense to do yourself. But if we're honest, I mean, there's got to be some things that you couldn't or shouldn't do yourself, right? So to help you, I invested a whole five minutes doing an internet search. And here were my top four most ridiculous DIY projects I found. Number one, how to perform your own surgeries. Hear me, for legal reasons, we are not endorsing that. Number two, how to make your own paper. Is it really worth the time? Third, crafts that you can make with cat hair. Which in my mind may be one of the only good uses for a cat. <clears throat> I hear that. Fourth, the fourth and my favorite, how to turn your Christmas tree into a rocket. You can Google that yourself later. But with all this, it's easy to start to believe that we can accomplish just about anything, right, by doing it ourselves. We've started to think that as long as I have the right instructions and a step-by-step -step guide, and as long as those directions are clear enough, we can accomplish whatever we set our minds to. In fact, I would argue it can become easy for us to start to think this way about the Christian life. We want to grow, and that's good. We want to mature. We want to look more like Jesus. We want to stop going back to those same old sins over and over again. I mean, bottom line, we want to change, right? Well, we want that. We take that desire for change and we take this DIY mentality and think, okay, I can do this. I just need to find some really clear rules, some step-by-step -step directions on what I should do and what to avoid. And if I just follow the rules, I should end up with the change that I'm hoping for, right? So we set out on our quest we look around at this imaginary spiritual Pinterest board for ideas. Let's see, that person says that I shouldn't do this. Okay, pin that. Seems like a good rule. Okay, and that person says you shouldn't watch that. Okay, that's going in there. Oh, this guy says to not drink this or wear that. All right. Okay, there, that should do it, I think. If I just follow these rules and avoid these things on the list, I'm going to grow. I'm going to mature and be a good Christian. But then you try it. Week goes by. You haven't really changed. A few more weeks. Still nothing. So you get more serious and think, okay, maybe I just didn't do enough. So you add a few more rules that look even better. Still no change. In fact, maybe you're even struggling more than when you started. So you scratch your head and you wonder, what went wrong? What, what, did, what step did I miss? Why didn't DIY religion work? Why am I not changing? Well, that's the exact issue that our passage is going to deal with this morning. Here in Colossians, Paul has been confronting the false teaching that Jesus plus something else is what we need. This wrong understanding of the Christian life was shaped by this DIY mentality. 
that you can change, grow, and defeat sin by following a list of rules and regulations and doing it yourself. But here, in verses 20 to 23, Paul's going to explain that this DIY religion doesn't work and then tell us why. But thankfully, Paul doesn't stop and only tell us what doesn't work. At the beginning of chapter 3, he'll go on to tell us what does work. So those are the two main things we're going to look at this morning. You can go ahead and throw up the outline. Real simple outline for you. The end of chapter 2 there, we'll see why DIY religion doesn't work. And then chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, what will. And when we explain why it doesn't work, just to help you with note taking if you want to, we're going to look at three things that DIY religion gets wrong. What does it misunderstand? Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. Now, I want to point out one thing before we jump in. If you look down at your text, notice how Paul begins both of those paragraphs. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, If with Christ you died, and then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If, then you've been raised with Christ. So he's got these two scenes. All right, if you've died and if you've been raised. And what Paul's doing here is really important. I want to make sure we don't miss it. Because right before our section, up in chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, Paul tells us there that if we belong to Jesus, we have died with him and we were raised with him. So in our passage, what Paul's doing is he's not introducing new information. He's not telling us something that he hasn't already said. This isn't a new truth that we're learning. What Paul's doing here is taking the truth we already saw and now he's applying it. He's moving from information to application. He's helping us think through, okay, if that's true, that's here the if, if that's true, how should this change my life? What should be different because I know this? And I wanted to stop and point that out because this is what we should always be doing as we read our Bibles. We should want to see what's there and we should want to understand what it means, but don't stop there. Don't stop. We should then ask that all important question So what? So what? What does this truth call me to do or think or believe differently? It can become very easy, I think, for all of us just to read like we would read any other book, just to acquire information and think, oh, that's that's really interesting. Hey, did you see what I read in the Bible this morning? Oh, that's good to know. Glad I learned that. But we need to remember that our goal in Bible reading is not just information, it's transformation. We want God, through his word, to actually change us. And that's what Paul's helping us do here this morning. He's taking the truths of our dying with Christ and being raised with Christ, and he's helping us think through how to apply those truths to our lives. He's asking the question, okay, how do these things help us see change in our lives? Okay, so let's look at our first section there at the end of chapter 2. Here, Paul's going to tell us why DIY religion doesn't work. And as I said, he's going to do that by showing you three things that DIY religion misunderstands. Misunderstands position, proportion, and power. So first, look at verse 20. In verse 20, DIY religion misunderstands our position. Paul says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, Do you submit to regulations? What Paul's pointing out here is that the way these Colossians were starting to live, it didn't make sense in light of what had happened to them. Paul's saying to these Christians, he's saying, look, 
I know that you used to be enslaved to these elemental spirits, or that's, these were elementary principles of the world. You were held captive by their rules and their standards and their requirements. I know that you used to live your life under their control, trying to do all the right things so that God would be happy with you. That was your old life. You were a slave to rules and regulations that the world made for you. But Christian, have you forgotten? That's not who you are anymore. You died with Christ. When you put your faith in him and trusted his death on the cross for your sins, your old self was crucified with him. And when you died, it broke those bonds that made you a slave to this life of man-made rules and standards. You are now free. These regulations are no longer your master and they don't control you anymore. So after he asserts that, he says, that's what's true. But then he says, but guys, you're not living like that. You're not living like you're free. You're, you're living like you're still a slave. You're going back to your old ways, trying to do it yourself. You're going back to a list of rules and regulations. Even though you're free, you're running back to your old master, putting the chains back on your arms and letting these regulations rule over you. Paul's saying, this doesn't make sense. If with Christ you died to the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? So that's what Paul's doing here. He's asking an application question. He's saying, if this is true of you, why are you living like that? He's trying to help them see that by going back to DIY religion, they're not living in light of their true position. They are free. That's their position. But they live like slaves. They're dead to their old way. That's their position. But they're acting like they're still alive under them. So the first reason we see that DIY religion doesn't work to change us is because it misunderstands our position. Second reason DIY religion doesn't change us is because it misunderstands proportion. Proportion. So look at verses 21 and 22. Paul says, If you died with Christ, why do you still submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. In these verses, Paul's telling us, he's trying to give us a clue. So, all right, what did some of these regulations sound like? You know, we're just using that word in general, but what might they have looked like? And here in verse 21, most commentators agree that they think Paul's actually mocking this DIY religion and its rules. So you can almost hear him saying like, okay, I know what they're telling you. Do not handle don't taste that. No, 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 don't even touch that. The focus for these people was on avoiding just about everything. The basic motto of these false teachers was just say no. People would have been like, can we? Nope. Well, okay, but, but what about nope? Look, if we just don't look at anything, listen to anything, eat anything, drink anything, and certainly not enjoy anything, we will be holy and we'll stop sinning. That was their philosophy. But the problem was that they misunderstood proportion. They were making a huge deal about these things that were all external and that didn't last. All their rules and regulations had to do with things like food and drink or what you could touch. Jesus actually confronted a very similar type of thinking in Mark 7. 
Actually, why don't you go ahead and turn there with me to Mark 7. As you're flipping there, we we can see in this passage, you're going to see some connections, how Jesus points out to these people how they too have things out of proportion and they misunderstand what really matters. So let's read the first few verses just to, to set the stage. Mark 7, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Then to explain, you see in parentheses, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. In other words, they've got all these rules for every situation. He goes on, and the Pharisees and the scribes ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? You can almost hear it in their voice. The audacity. Do you see what they're doing? See, these Pharisees, they had their own list of don'ts, right? And one of them was, don't eat food unless you've washed your hands. Now, some of you might be thinking, isn't that just good hygiene? It is. So wash your hands before you eat. But what they're talking about here wasn't just getting rid of some germs. It was a ritual, special hand washing um, that was more symbolic than it was hygienic. And when they saw these disciples not obeying their regulation, they challenged Jesus about it. How come they're not following the rules? Look at how Jesus answers them in verse 6. He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines commandments of men. Wow. I would not want Jesus to talk that way to me. He's not messing around here. Jesus calls them hypocrites who might say the right things, but their hearts, he says, are far from him. He calls their worship meaningless because what they were really doing was teaching the commandments of men. Now that phrase, commandments of men, are the exact same words that Paul used in our passage in verse 22. And all these rules they made up, all the don't, 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 they're just commandments of men. And what Jesus is saying is you're emphasizing the wrong thing. You're out of proportion. You're making a big deal about following man-made rules, but you're not paying attention to your hearts, which are way more important than what I care about. In fact, Jesus goes on and he makes it even clearer. Look down in Mark 7 down to verse 18. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Which is what Paul meant back in Colossians when he said the rules We're talking about things that all perish as they are used. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So what's Jesus' point? It's the same thing as Paul's. He's saying, you guys are seriously out of proportion. You make such big deals about what goes into your bodies, but the real problem is what's coming out of you. You will not stop sinning by regulating what goes into you. You need something that can change what's coming out of you, out of your heart. And he says, listen, rules can't do it. Your DIY religion makes a big deal about the wrong things because it seriously misunderstands proportion. That's the second thing we see. Now, the third reason DIY religion won't work is because it misunderstands power. Power. Look with me at verse 23. He says, these, talking about the regulations, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made, you hear that? Self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul's point is simple. He's saying, look, all these rules and regulations that you've come up with and are living by, I get it, they look good, they look impressive, they look religious even. They have an appearance of wisdom and they might look humble, but they can't do anything. They can't stop the sin in your heart. They cannot change you. Why? Because they have no power. In fact, if you rely on rules and religious regulations to overcome sin in your life, there's really only two possible outcomes. Failure or false success. On one hand, you might come up with the best rules. I mean, of all your friends, of all your fellow church members, you might come up with the strictest, most disciplined guidelines. Like just an utterly regimented life. You won't watch this, drink that, go there, listen to that music. You come up with a rule for every possible scenario. Somebody asks you, you, you've got a guideline. It's almost like you've got a pocket manual that you carry around with you. But the only problem is, those rules won't change your heart. Because you still want what you want. And when what we want is sin, we'll still choose it no matter how many rules we have in place. See, that's what makes sin so powerful is because it gives us something that we think we want. That's why we sin. No one sins because they have to. That's really important to get. The only reason any of us sin is because it appeals to our desires. And it holds out something saying, don't you want this? Doesn't that look good? Wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't that be nice? And we say, yeah, I want that. And it says that I can fulfill that desire. That's why we sin even when we know it's wrong. It's not lack of information. It's that we still want that. Because our hearts will always say yes to what we love and enjoy most. Always. That's really important. I'm going to say that again. Our hearts will always say yes to what we love and enjoy most. Always. So you can have all the rules in the world, but if, what, if that's what you're relying on to overcome sin, it will end in failure. Or the other possible outcome, which I think might be even worse, is false success. And here's what I mean. Let's, let's take a sin. Let's say the sin you want to overcome in your life is anger. So, you come up with a bunch of rules to try to rein in your anger. You say, I'm, I'm going to beat this thing. 
all right, so you're going to count to 10 before you respond. In those tense moments where you're, you're prone to lash out, you say, no, no, one rule is I'm, gonna, I'm always going to count to 10 before I speak. Okay. Or you're going to walk away if things get too heated. Or you, you vow that I'm not going to talk about certain topics. You know, politics always gets your blood pressure. You're like, that's it. I'm not going to talk about politics. And so you make all these rules, and guess what? You follow them perfectly. You're crushing it. And while it might look really impressive, it might look like you succeeded, the truth is the anger is still in your heart. The rules might have managed to limit your outbursts, but they didn't remove your anger. And on top of that, now you're feeling pretty good about how you beat that anger. You did it. You did it yourself. So now you're not just struggling with anger. Now you've got a pride problem on top of it. Regulations, Paul says, are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And if you feel proud about how well you keep these regulations, you might just end up feeding your flesh. So that's the third reason DIY religion doesn't work. Not only does it misunderstand position and proportion, it also misunderstands the power needed to overcome sin. Simply put, it just doesn't have enough. All right, so if we end there, it's pretty discouraging, right? Let's all go home and just hang our heads that we, there is no answer. We're left with this question, aren't we? Okay, I hear you, but if rules and regulations don't work, I mean, I still want to change. In fact, I think I still need to change. So what will work? Is there anything that can help us conquer sin? Anything that can help us see real change in our lives? Well, look with me at the beginning of chapter 3 to see Paul's answer. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So, if this DIY religion doesn't work, what does Paul say can actually change us? He says the only way to see real and lasting change and growth in the Christian life is to have hearts and minds that are set on and captivated by Jesus. Rules and regulations won't change you. But what will is thinking about, meditating on, and delighting in who Jesus is and what he's done. It's seeing his glory, savoring his glory, and enjoying all that he is. That's what changes us. And here's why. Because while rules try to stop us from sinning by give us, giving us a list of no's, Setting our hearts and minds on Jesus helps us overcome sin by giving us a better yes. Remember what I said. Our hearts will always say yes to what they love and enjoy most. That's why when we're tempted, it doesn't work to just say no to what we want. We need to continuously remind our hearts there's something better than that sin. Something we want more. Something more valuable, more satisfying, that will give us more joy than that sin that's tempting us. 
That something is Jesus. So what does Paul want us to see about this Jesus? He's telling us that he's better. Set your minds and your hearts on him. But he doesn't just say that in a vague way. There's some things about Jesus that Paul says, listen, here's what you should fix your hearts and minds on. So what is it? First, set your minds on the Jesus who is risen. Verse 1 says we were raised with Christ. Now we know that before Jesus was raised, he died. And he died for people like you and me. He died in our place for our sins, for all the times that we broke the rules. And and hear this, not broke the man-made rules that are of little account. We broke the rules of God, ones that actually matter. But Jesus gave his life so that when we turn from our sins and we trust him in faith, we can be forgiven. Jesus' death for us, friends, is a glorious reality. But here's the even better part. He's not dead anymore. (laughs) There's a vacancy in the tomb because on the third day, Jesus checked out. Who does that? Never, ever, ever get over the amazing fact that Jesus died and he rose again. That's not an Easter message. Christian, does that stun you? Does it just flood your mind every day with wonder that there was a man who was dead in a tomb and now he's alive. That is stunning. And that's our Jesus. Our Savior is alive and not even death can defeat him. So fix your mind on the Christ who is risen. Second, set your minds on the Jesus who is reigning. Paul says in verse 1 that he is seated at the right hand of God. Because after his triumphant resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven where he sits enthroned beside the Father, ruling over all. Which means, every second of every day, every world catastrophe, and every little problem and big pain that you're facing, he rules over every detail of your life. And as he reigns at the Father's hand, do you know what he's doing? Christian, Jesus is praying for you. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. As we face the challenges and struggles and heartaches and problems of life, when we feel stuck and like we don't know how to change, we don't know how to grow as a Christian, our Jesus is beside the Father asking him to help us. And oh, how the Father loves to answer the requests of his Son. So Christians, set your mind on that, that Jesus is reigning at the Father's right hand. And as he reigns, he's praying for you. Third, set your mind on the Jesus who is returning. Paul says in verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, when he appears, Hebrews nine tell us that he appeared once to put away sin by sacrificing himself and now having done that, he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, that's done, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. His return is what we wait for. It's what gives us hope as believers. Titus 2 says the Christian life is one of waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, 
He's coming back, friends. And when he appears, he will right every wrong. He will dry every tear. And he will make all things new. So set your minds on the Jesus who's risen, who's reigning, and who's returning. Now, as we, as we close, I want to give you three ways that we can do this. How can we set our minds on the things above? What does that look like? I got three. There's a lot more than three you could say. But here's three to get you started. Number one, focus on what matters. Focus on what matters. Paul says there in verse two, to not set our minds on things that are on earth. Now, to be clear, what Paul's not saying, is he's not saying never think about things like your job or your house or what to make for dinner. What he's saying is don't set your mind on those things. In other words, don't let them dominate your thinking. Don't let them fill your thoughts. Don't become fixated or consumed by temporary earthly things. Instead, he says, focus on eternal things. Don't get things out of proportion. Make a big deal about all these man-made rules and things that will not last. Instead, focus your mind and your heart on things that will last forever. Namely, God's word and people. Invest in relationships. Pray for one another. Get together with someone else to study the Bible or help one another grow. Get to know your neighbors and tell them about this risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. Don't waste your time with trying to follow silly rules and controversies. Set your mind on what really matters. Second, remember your position. Remember who you are. You are not a slave to sin anymore. And man-made rules are not your master. You no longer have to try to do it yourself. You've been set free because Christ has done it for you. You died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Friends, what security there is in knowing that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. He is our rock our fortress, our safe refuge, and our strong shelter. It's like putting your most treasured thing into a a fireproof, bombproof safe. You put it in there and you're like, I know it's going to be okay because it's hidden in the safest place it can be. Christian, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There is no one and nothing that can ever get to it, take it, destroy it, or damage it. It is unassailable in his care. And if you were a Christian, your life is so connected to Jesus. Do you see this? That Paul says, Jesus is your life. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus is a big part of my life. Yeah, he, he, he's a big deal. I, I think a lot of it. He says, Jesus is your life. So set your mind on who God has made you in Christ. You're no longer a slave. You're now a son. And finally, Hope in what's to come. Hope in what's to come. Remind yourself every day that God's not done. He's still at work in this world. He's still at work in this church. And he's still at work in you. And unlike the rules of DIY religion, Jesus actually has the power to change you. 
And if you've put your faith in Jesus, guess what? He is changing you. Guaranteed. He is growing you. Yes, sometimes it's hard to see. We don't always grow by leaps and bounds. We're, we have the spiritual chart in the kitchen and you, you put up against it and you draw a line to see where you are. Then the next day you go, oh wow, look, the, the line's up here. It's slow, it's painful, and it's sometimes imperceptible. But it is sure. Because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Paul says in verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Can you, can you imagine that scene? When Jesus appears, we will finally see who he's been making us to be. You may not see it now. You may look at your own life and say, I, I can't even imagine but when he comes, you will see it then. First John 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We will be like Jesus. There will be no more striving to become more like him. We will be like him. Why? Because we tried really hard and we worked our tails off to get there? No, because we'll see him and we will be like him. So friends, if you want to see change in your lives, and I hope you do, I sure do. If you want to see change in your lives, don't look to rules and regulations and how-tos. They won't work because they forget your new position in Christ they get things all out of proportion and ultimately they have no power to change you. You don't have to try to do it yourself. Instead, simply trust what Jesus has done for you. If you want to see change and growth in your walk with God, set your mind and your heart on the risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. He and he alone can help you say no to sin by saying yes to something so much better to him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that this is all true. Thank you that there are not an infinite number of hoops you've called us to jump through and guidelines to memorize and try to keep up with. Said you've called us to set our hearts and minds on the one who's perfectly fulfilled the law and who's died for all the ways we have failed. God, would our hearts not be consumed by the things that are on earth. Lord, there are so many things on earth for our hearts and minds to be fixed on. So would you instead loosen the grip of our minds on those things? Help our minds to drift more and more to the things that are above. Would we lock in on things of eternal importance and not become so worried or angry or just plain obsessed with the things of this life. God, we want to live with things, we want to live in light of these truths that we have an eternal inheritance. So God, would you make us people like that? Would you bring to mind often your son? Would you give us a clearer picture and a deeper love for this 
risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. We thank you that we can't do it all and that you don't expect us to, and you have graciously given us your son to do it in our place. Thank you that though our debt was immeasurable, Jesus paid it all. So it's in his name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen.